Amen. Have a seat. Thank you guys for reminding us of the good news of the finished work of Christ. Thank you guys for being with us today, uh, whether you're here in person, whether you're worshiping with us online. Thank you guys for joining with us to worship the risen Christ today. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here if we haven't met. Um, today, as I'm sure you're aware, um, hopefully didn't forget, guys. Uh, today is Mother's Day. Um, and Mother's Day, obviously a very special day um, in our society. So happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. So deeply grateful for, for the work that you do uh, in the lives in a million different ways that, that so, so often go unnoticed and, and unappreciated. And so we want to take a moment before we jump into the scriptures today to celebrate moms, to honor you, to pray for you in this holy calling that the Lord has given you. Um, motherhood is a holy holy vocation. It is absolutely integral to what Jesus is doing in his world. And so we want to recognize that. We want to honor that. We want to celebrate that. And we want to pray for you as you continue to follow the Lord in that calling. At the same time, we also want to recognize that this is a painful day for some of us in this room. Like maybe you desperately want to be a mom and, and you're not for whatever reason. Maybe you had a bad relationship with your mom. Maybe you're a mom and you have a bad relationship with your kids. Um, maybe your mom is sick and you can't see her. Maybe, maybe she's passed away. And so Mother's Day kind of leaves this emptiness and this, and this pain when you think about how much you miss her. And so the scriptures tell us to, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment and we're just going to do that today. So we're going to pray and we're going to celebrate and honor and pray for, for moms and their holy callings today. At the same time, praying for those of us for whom maybe this day brings a sense of, of pain or a sense of loss. And, and in all of that, I'm going to pray that God would draw near to us with his love that's better than the love of any mother or any father. And so Let's pray and let's come before the Lord. Father, we thank you for your love for us, your goodness that you pour out on us in a million different ways that sometimes we don't even think about. We thank you that you pour out your goodness and your love on us through the people in our lives. And for, for many of us in this room, we've experienced your love and your grace and your goodness to us through our moms. And so we thank you for them. We thank you for the love that, that, that they have poured into our lives. Um, Lord, I thank you for those who are moms in this room, and I thank you for the way that, that you have used and are using them in the lives of, of kids, in the lives of, of other folks, just, just in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for that, and we want to pray for them specifically in this holy calling that you have given them, a calling that often is thankless and the millions of things they do go unnoticed or it's just wearisome and exhausting. And so we pray that you would give them endurance and joy and a sense of holy purpose and holy ambition and a sense of your pleasure as, as they continue to pursue the calling that you have given them. And Father, I pray also for those of us in this room that maybe this is a really difficult day. Maybe, maybe because of we've lost our, our moms or maybe because we can't see them or we're separated from them. Maybe because there's a broken relationship either with our moms or maybe a broken relationship with our kids. Maybe because we, we want to be moms. Maybe there are those who want to be moms and just can't for whatever reason. And so God, we just pray your comfort. Because we know that, that all human loves are meant to point us to the greatest love that, that you poured out for us on Calvary and the love that, that you walk with us 
every day. And so I pray that every single one of us in this room would feel the nearness of your love for us, which is better than life, which is better than the love of any mother or father. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word, which reminds us of your love for us. And I pray that you would draw us near to you now through your word. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you've been around or if you've been watching with us online, you know that uh, we are in the midst of a series called The Resurrection, Resurrected Life. Um, we're actually concluding that series today, The Resurrected Life. And so what we've been doing, kind of coming out of Easter, is we've been looking at these key passages in the New Testament to see what is the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago, half a world away, look, for our li- look like for our lives in 2021? What does it look like for us to, to live this resurrected life that Jesus bought for for us through his death and resurrection. Now, as I just said, today's Mother's Day. So Tracy's parents are in town. They're going to be at the second service. My parents came over yesterday. The dads did our best to prepare a brunch for the moms and celebrate them. Um, and I think this is the first time since I was in high school, which, which was a long time ago, that, I, that I've celebrated Mother's Day with my mom. It's one of the great things about being back home in Chautauqua County, being so close to family. When, when we lived in Indianapolis, we used to have to drive 500 miles to get to my parents' place in Bemis Point. 500 miles with three young kids. It was all, it was like the seven bowls of wrath in the book of Revelation. It was so, and like you would spend like five to six hours just in the state of Ohio alone with my kids screaming at the top of their lungs. We hate Ohio. We hate, I'm sorry if you're from Ohio. We hate Ohio is what they would scream. And you know, if you're a parent and you know, when you're traveling, the number one question you get from your kids, the question you hear over and over and over again, you can probably say it with me. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Literally hundreds of times over the course of the trip between the cheese puffs flying around your minivan and the fist fights and the weeping and gnashing of teeth, this haunting, you can tell I'm scarred from this, this haunting recurring question, are we there yet? Because it's really hard to wait, especially when you're a kid confined to a car seat. It's hard to wait. And what am I supposed to be doing with all of this time? But I actually think that something very similar can happen to us as followers of Jesus. We live in this in-between time. We know something big happened back there 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. And we know something big is going to happen in the future when he returns to set all things right and to make all things new. But the question is, what do we do in the meantime? And so for some of us, what we do is we just run around frenetically looking for something to do. We bounce from cause to cause and hashtag to hashtag, and the world seems so messed up, and we just want to make it better, but we're kind of aimless in what we do. So we throw the proverbial cheese curl all over the the van because we desperately are just trying to do something to make our lives count, and we just don't know what it is. And so what eventually happens is that we end up burned out and we're worn out and we just just kind of give up. And so I don't really care anymore about making the world a better place. I just want to make it through the week. I just want to make my life a little better. But if the resurrection of Jesus is true, if we really believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that in some sense we have risen with him, then we got to ask ourselves the question, what are we supposed to be doing with this resurrected life that Jesus has given us as we wait for his return? And that's what we're going to see in this passage today. Jesus, in this passage that we're going to be in Luke 24 today, shows us how the resurrected life means joining the resurrected Christ in his mission to make all things new. 
So Luke chapter 24, end of the Gospel of Luke. Here's what's happened. Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. Here's what's happening, starting at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this to them, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it. Before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So if you want to know what what Jesus is doing in the world today, this is what he's doing. He's carrying out his global mission. If you want to know what Jesus calls his followers to do as we wait for his return, it's this. He calls us to join in his global mission. If you want to know God's will for your life, it's this, to join in his global mission. If we as a church want to know what Jesus calls Christ Community Church to be about, this is what it is. He wants us to join his mission of proclaiming his good news in Dunkirk and Fredonia and Brockton and Westfield and Forestville and all throughout Chautauqua County and in every corner of the globe to people of every tribe and tongue and nation. See, Jesus shows us what he is doing in the world and what he wants us to do until he returns. And we're going to see three things in this passage specifically about what the risen Christ is doing in his world and how he wants us to join him. We're going to see God's word promises his mission, God's people proclaim his mission, and God's spirit empowers his mission. First, God's word promises his mission. So again, here's what's happening. Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. He appears to these disciples. They're amazed. Their minds are blown. They are confused. They think maybe we're seeing a ghost. Maybe we're hallucinating. They were not expecting their Messiah to die. Certainly, they weren't expecting him to rise from the dead because they knew just as well as we do that dead men don't rise from the dead. And yet here he is. He is standing in front of them. He asks them for something to eat. They give him a piece of fish and he eats it. They are eating fish with a guy who used to be dead. And they're dumbfounded. They don't have category growers for this. They're shocked. Is this really happening? And then Jesus says this. Look at verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus says, guys, I told you this would happen. And I didn't just tell you this would happen. The scriptures told you this would happen. The scriptures told you that the Messiah would die and that he would rise again and that his kingdom would extend to the ends of the earth beginning from Jerusalem. The law of Moses told you this would happen. 
The prophets told you this would happen. The Psalms told you this would happen. The entire corpus of the Hebrew scriptures told you that this would happen. Like you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3, human beings are turning their backs on God, making a mess of the world that he has created. And then there's this promise in Genesis 3.15 where God is speaking to the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your, your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, we live in this broken world world filled with pain and heartache and suffering, and we long for it to be made right. Like, don't you long for that? Don't you long for the day when sin and death and suffering are defeated and God makes all things new? World where no parent ever has to bury their baby. World where no child is ever sold into a trafficking ring. A world where we never have to watch Alzheimer's slowly take away the people we love. A world with no more death and no more pain and no more cancer and no more depression and no more divorce and no more abuse and no more poverty and no more injustice and no more genocide. I'm so tired of the brokenness of this world. And if I'm honest with you, I am tired of the brokenness of my own heart. That's the cry of our souls, the cry of humanity all throughout history. This world is so broken, God. We are so broken, God. Come and make it right. Come and set us free. The Bible is the story of how God is doing that. Jesus says the whole thing, the scriptures, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all of it, it's all the story of humanity's longing for me. And it's my promise of how I'm going to make it right again. It's not just the story of one little group of people who lived in the ancient Near East. It's the promise of my blessing to to bring salvation to every tribe and tongue and nation. That's what the Hebrew scriptures promised. And and I don't have time to read the whole Old Testament today, but I want to touch down on a few of these places that you see so that you can see what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation to bring salvation to all nations. So we've got these on the screens. Um, Just jot these references down if you're taking notes and look at them later. Genesis 12. Three, uh, just verse three, God has called Abram and he says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God says, Abram, I'm gonna call you and I'm gonna bless your family, but it's not just for you. It's so that all the families of the earth will be blessed. 1,500 years later, Isaiah chapter two, this beautiful prophecy. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion, this is really important, out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. End of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and exalted. Many were astonished at you. His appearance was marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So he shall sprinkle 
many nations. He shall cleanse, he shall purify many nations. And how was he going to do it? Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. And I just give you those few references as as kind of a flyover of the Hebrew scriptures to see that God's plan from the beginning, God's plan throughout the ages laid out in the Hebrew scriptures is to bless all the families of the earth in a descendant of Abraham who will die in the place of sinners and cleanse us from our sins, who will be bruised by the serpent, who will taste the sting of death, but in the process who will crush the serpent's head and who will set us free from sin and death and condemnation, and one day we'll make all things new. And his plan from the beginning was to send the good news of that deliverance and salvation to the ends of the earth through his people. I just, Tracy and I just watched Hotel Rwanda yesterday, and we're like 15 years behind on that, but, but we watched it, and just, I mean, just brokenness, the violence of our world, the injustice, the genocide. And I I sit there and I find myself wondering, Jesus, why why don't you just make all things new when you rose from the dead? I mean, he's already defeated sin and death and hell through his death and resurrection. So why is the world still so broken? It's because his mission isn't finished yet. This is where you and I come in. See, God's word promises his mission and God's people proclaim his mission. We proclaim his mission. Look at verse 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. See, if Jesus had just ended it all after he rose from the dead, then this message of salvation never would have gone to the nations and you and I wouldn't be sitting here worshiping Jesus today. Jesus says, I'm coming again to set all things right and to make all things new. But, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. It's the goal of God's mission, that his gospel will be proclaimed to all nations. That's the final piece of this mission that Jesus is accomplishing in the world before he returns, and that's what he calls us into. Now, it's vital for us to pay attention to the words here. Jesus says repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed. In other words, it'll be, it'll be spoken. God's people will open their mouths to share this good news. The gospel literally means good news, and news is something that comes through words. So often we're afraid, I'm afraid sometimes, to, to, to speak the good news. To, to share the gospel. I don't, I don't want to be thought of as narrow-minded or intolerant or backwards. But, but don't you see, proclaiming the gospel is not some form of regressive bigotry. It's a message of love and liberation. It sets the captives free. Listen to this quote from, from Penn Jillette. So if you don't know who Penn Jillette is, he's a famous magician, uh, not musician, magician. Um, he's also an outspoken atheist. Actually so hostile to Christianity that he doesn't let Christians come into his home because he thinks they'll be a bad influence on his kids. Listen to what he says, though, about evangelism, or or as he calls it, proselytizing. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it could make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? 
How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Now remember, that's, that's not a Christian saying this. This is someone who rejects Christianity. And yet he says, if you really believe that this is true, then the only loving thing to do is to tell people about it, even if it's a little bit awkward. Because here's the truth, friends. Everyone evangelizes. Everyone has some gospel. Everyone has some version of good news. If you don't believe me, just pull up your Facebook feed. And you're going to see people proclaiming all kinds of gospels, from the newest diet fad to the latest political conspiracy theory. Everyone is looking for a story of hope. Everyone hungers for a story that makes sense out of the world. That's why we proclaim the gospel. That's why we talk about Jesus. Because Jesus died and he has risen from the dead. As we saw a few weeks ago, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. And that kind of hope changes everything. We open our mouths and we proclaim the good news because God is a speaking God. All the way at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. How does God create? creates by speaking. He creates by his word. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And when God makes, wants to make all things new, he recreates by his word. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God makes all things by his word. God makes all things new by his word. So when God wants to make all things new, he doesn't send us out with gimmicks or strategies. He sends us out with his word. He sends us out with good news. And we have to remind ourselves of this as a church over and over again because one of the things I see in churches is that we get tempted to veer away from our confidence in the gospel. We think we need to improve on that old, old story. We need something shinier and newer and cooler and hipper. But, but friends, God doesn't need us to improve on what he has done for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The old, old story is how God is making all things new. And specifically, look at what we proclaim. Verse 47, Jesus says we proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the word repent, I've talked about this before, is possibly the most misunderstood word in the entire Bible. Most people, when they think of repentance, they think of penance. They think, I've done something bad, and now I need to do something good to make up for it. That's the default way we all live. We are all naturally trying to justify ourselves. Whether you're religious or not, the default setting of your heart is set to penance. Desperately want to convince ourselves that we're okay. So we try to become more moral or, or more religious or more generous or more socially conscious or more fit or more whatever. And we paint this veneer of morality over our souls, but our hearts are still dead. That's penance. Repentance goes deeper. Repentance is so much more liberating. Repentance is a complete change of mind. It's a whole new way of seeing everything. It, it, it means that we turn from our attempts to rule our own lives and we embrace Jesus as king. It means that we no longer see ourselves as the center of the universe and now we see Jesus as the center of the universe. It means that we stop trying to be our own gods and we trust God to be God. It means that we stop trying to justify ourselves by our own attempts at self-righteousness and we trust the death and resurrection of Jesus to make us right with God. 
We turn to Jesus and we open our hands and we receive what he offers. And he says, I offer the forgiveness of sins. And I want you to hear this today. What Jesus offers is full forgiveness of sins. Jesus doesn't offer halfway forgiveness. Some of us here are still trying to justify ourselves, still living under that guilt or that shame or that condemnation. You're still trying to prove yourself to God or to your parents or to your spouse, or maybe you're just trying to prove yourself to yourself. And I want you to hear that you don't have to do that because Jesus died for all of your sins, the ones from your distant past and the ones from this morning. The ones you feel comfortable confessing to other people and the ones you try to hide from everyone, including yourself. You don't have to prove yourself to God because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is good news. And that kind of news changes everything. And Jesus says, verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. Witnesses. Now that word witness is really important. Jesus says, you will proclaim something that you have witnessed. You will proclaim something that you have seen with your eyes. You will proclaim something that actually happened in history. I mean, these people who saw him, they had seen him killed. And now they look at him and he is standing in front of them and they've touched him. They're literally eating with him. It's one of the things that makes Christianity unique among the religions of the world. It's based on eyewitness testimony. It's based on something that actually happened at a historical time, at a historical place. That's the core reality of Christianity, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And without that, there is no Christianity. And maybe you got questions about that. Like, I don't want to assume that we all believe that. Maybe it's your first time in church. Maybe you've been in church for years, but you're just like, I'm not sure whether I believe this. And I'm wrestling with doubts and with questions about all that. And it's so interesting. If you look at this passage, these earliest followers of Jesus doubted too. They wrestled with this. This isn't just something that was easy for them to believe. They struggled with this. And so if that's you, my my hope is that Christ Community Church is a place where we can honestly wrestle with doubts. We can honestly wrestle with questions. We can honestly ask the hard questions and investigate for ourselves. Do we really believe this? And ultimately, you need to decide for yourself whether you believe it or not. But this is not peripheral. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then I would say to you that Christianity is useless and ridiculous. And I would even go so far as to say that it's evil. Because it's based on a lie. But if it's actually true, if these witnesses are actually telling the truth, if Jesus actually rose from the dead, then that changes everything. So Christians believe it's what we base our lives on. It's what the early church proclaimed. It's still what we proclaim as followers of Jesus 2,000 years later. We proclaim what they witnessed with their eyes because we believe that this good news changes everything. God's word promises his mission. God's people proclaim his mission. But listen, all of that is useless without the final piece of God's mission. God's spirit empowers his mission. God's spirit empowers his mission. Now, we're actually going to spend the next seven weeks fleshing out what that means. Beginning next Sunday, we're going to be in the, in the early chapters of the book of Acts. And we're going to look at what it looks like when God's spirit empowers us and sends us out on mission. But for right now, just just look at verse 49. Jesus says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. 
but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus says, do not try to do this without me. Do not try to do this without my presence and my power. At this point, there's something like 120 followers of Jesus. Most of them are poor and uneducated. If you read the Gospels, you find they're definitely not the sharpest knives in the drawer. And and they follow this guy who died and rose again and claims to be the king of the entire universe. And he tells them to go out and literally take this message to the entire world. But but this is what's so fascinating. He says, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out to proclaim my good news to all nations. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to change the world. And I'm going to change history through you. I am sending you out to do it. But you can't do it. You can't accomplish this mission on your own. So wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Because here's the thing about God's mission. It is God's mission. He calls us to be a part of it, but he is the one who accomplishes it. And on the one hand, that should humble us, right? It should make us feel our utter dependence on the spirit of God. But on the other hand, that should give us confidence because Jesus is the one who accomplishes it. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has poured out his spirit upon us. And Jesus promises to advance his kingdom to the ends of the earth through us. That's what he's inviting you into. That's what he's inviting me into. That's what he is inviting Christ's community church into. And I don't know exactly what this is going to look like in your life. Honestly, sometimes I don't know exactly what it looks like in my life. And I certainly don't have all the, all the details about what it's going to look like for our church. But here's what's so cool. These early followers of Jesus, they didn't know either. Jesus didn't send them out with some master strategic plan. He told them to wait for the Spirit. He told them to wait for power from on high. So that's what they did. They waited and they prayed. And and a few weeks later, they were all gathered together praying in someone's apartment and the Spirit of God fell on them and filled them with holy fire and sent them out to proclaim his gospel. And in the process, he turned the world upside down. And that same Spirit that fell on them and filled them with holy fire is the same Spirit that lives inside of you if you are a follower of Jesus. So yeah, I don't have all the specifics about exactly what this is going to look like. But let's pray. Let's pray that God would clothe us with power from on high. Let's pray that Jesus would make his name great in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in every corner of the earth. Let's pray for holy fire. Let's pray for power from on high. Let's pray that God would send us out to proclaim his gospel to all nations by the power of the Spirit who lives inside of us. Because here's the thing you see. You read the Bible. You read the history of the church. God is not looking for the smartest people. He is not looking for the most successful people or the most well-connected people or the wealthiest people. God is looking for hungry people. God is looking for people for whom nothing less than the power and the presence of God will do. Who who cry out, clothe us with power from on high. God, fill us with holy fire. That's what the resurrected life means. 
The resurrected life means that the resurrected Christ fills us with his resurrecting spirit and sends us out with his resurrecting word, the good news that he is making all things new. So let's go out and let's live that. Let's proclaim that this week. Let's pray for his help. Father, we need your help. So often we try to live life in our own strength, on our own terms. God, if I'm honest, sometimes we even do church that way. We try to do it in our own strength and on our own terms. We try to go out and do do this mission without you, without your power, without your presence. And we, we put the confidence in our strategies or in our gifts or in our work ethic even. And these things that we think that that we bring to the table, but the reality is, God, we desperately need your spirit. We need you to fill us with holy fire. We know that it's your mission, and this mission is perfectly designed to fail if you don't show up. So we pray that you would. Pray for every single person in this room. I pray for those who might not know Christ. I pray that for the first time you would would bring them this new life. Place your resurrecting spirit inside of them. Lord, I pray for people who might have questions about your death and resurrection. I pray that you would give us the honesty to to explore those things. Lord, Lord, I pray for those in this room who are weary. I pray that your life-giving, resurrecting spirit would continue to empower us and continue to sustain us. I pray for every single follower of Jesus in this room that you would fill us with holy fire, that you would send us out to proclaim the good news of the king who died and rose again, who is coming again to set all things right, to make all things new. We're not the strongest. We're not the most numerous. We're not the most well-connected. We're not the wealthiest. We're not the smartest. We're not the best, God. But we're here, we're empty, and we're hungry. We pray that you would fill us with your presence and your power. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Our key verse this week from Luke chapter 24. It's actually two verses this week. Um, But actually, this is a really good synopsis of the entire Bible and all of what God has been doing throughout all of human history and the story that we're a part of. So take this with you this week um, and remind yourselves of this. Even as you think about, what am I doing with my life? This is what the Lord calls us to. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So my prayer is that we go out with a sense of holy purpose this week because of that reality. So you out with our benediction. Benediction is just a, a prayer of blessing for the road. So let's go ahead and stand and let's receive this from 2 Corinthians 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Peace be with you. Have a great week.